0: Kate Williams is an historian and author of two historical biographies, England's Mistress, the Infamous Life of Emma Hamilton, and Becoming Queen, about the young Queen Victoria and her cousin Prince Charlotte. She is an expert on the Regency period in England and lectures regularly throughout Europe. She is currently working on a book of fiction, The Pleasures of Men, which is set in the 1840s and follows a young woman's obsession with a murderer. She's also working on her third book of history, about Josephine Bonaparte. As well as writing books and lecturing, Kate also writes regular features for The Sunday Telegraph, The Independent, Spectator, BBC History Magazine and History Today. Thanks for joining us today, Kate.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Now, tell us what came first: your love of history or your love of writing?
1: I think that's a good question. I think they were both at the same time. I think I always loved the his the history. I always loved the past. As a little girl, I used to make a time machine for my brother. I used to get this kind of old. I got this old box and covered it in silver foil and put him inside it and rattled it around and. <laughs> And uh, and I told him after I'd rattled it and kind of made some squeaking noises that we'd arrived in somewhere historical and I'd, you know, say, Oh look, outside there were the pyramids and Oh look, there's Queen Victoria. He believed me, uh Paul he got bigger than me now. We couldn't think of any boxes now, but, but he believed me and I and I really loved kind of taking him around to different historical places that he could never see. But I love writing as well. I wrote my first little novel when i was seven and it was called the adventures of maria and it was not it was quite it was not bad actually it was just um it was just the pictures weren't so good (laughs) i I illustrated it and i think that my pictures of maria escaping on an albatross weren't perhaps the best i've ever drawn
0: (laughs) so you've um always been interested in writing even from as young as seven then
1: Yes, I mean I was always writing stories and poems, and my my uh, Adventures of Maria was my was my first finished novel. So <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't very long, there were a lot of abandoned ones before that one. But that one I just managed to see to the end. And you know I look back on it now, and I think you know it's not bad really. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, some character development. It, it, it it's a there's, a, there's, a, there's a, some conflict in there, and just the pictures are awful.
0: <laughs> so when your passions are so obvious at such a young age, was it very clear to you from that point that you were always going to end up doing something in history or writing?
1: Well, I always hoped to. I always hoped, I always wanted to say much to. And then, you know, I, I went spent a lot of time at school writing poems and stories. And then at university... Um, I I think I was a little bit intimidated because, you you know, you go to university and, you know, and actually, I mean, I actually began so a little bit earlier, kind of when I began reading the great novelists and I began reading Austin about kind of 14, 15. And then at university, you read them all the time, all the greats, and you just feel a bit intimidated. And I think then I went a bit quiet on the poems and stories because I just got to think, oh, well, you know, there are all these great writers, you know, goodness, how can I ever... What was ever compete? Mm. And of course, now I realise there's no point in thinking about competing with what Henry James and George Eliot. You just have to write your own way and write what you know. And and you know, everyone's views have have equal weight. Mm. Um, and so that that I went a little bit quiet after university. But then after university, I went travelling and I came to Australia travelling and I did loads of writing while I was travelling. I went to China and I came to do some backpacking around Australia, and then went back. Um, to America, back to Europe, to Britain. And I did loads of writing while I was uh, traveling. I think my mind was free. And then it really started again. So then I did my PhD and I wrote while I was doing that. And I wrote my first book on England's mistress and then my second book on on Queen Victoria. And then after I finished Queen Victoria, I went and and I rented a flat in Paris for the summer, uh, the summer, two summers ago, 2008. Mm. And I did it was just marvellous. I had a free mind, no deadlines, and I just wrote wrote and wrote and wrote in cafes and wrote the book that's going to be published as a novel next year, The Pleasures of Men. So so I've had lots of I've had lots of lovely writing time so far, particularly I think when I'm travelling.
0: So tell us a bit about that book, The Pleasures of Men.
1: The Pleasures of Men is coming out next year. It's I began writing it in Paris, but it is primarily or well, it is entirely a London novel. It's about a girl who lives in East London in 1840 with her strange uncle, and she becomes preoccupied by a serial killer who's in London, who's killing Londoners. She kind of early Jack the Ripper, really. She becomes obsessed by him and wants to write about him, wants to think about him, and then the more she becomes obsessed by him, the more she begins to realise, well, that he's perhaps coming closer to her. So mm. it was strange writing it in Paris. I think I was so charmed by Paris because I know London quite well, but I didn't know Paris at all. I hadn't really, I uh, never lived there and I hadn't really, I'd been there as a tourist, but you know, not walked around. So I was walking around Paris late at night and I had that kind of feeling of being a bit disoriented by the dark streets that I don't get in London anymore. And Paris, I think, is a lot quieter than London, particularly in August. It's a much quieter city there's always someone wandering around London. Paris, I thought, was much quieter. So I. I really felt that then I kind of got an idea of what it must be like to wander around strange, hostile streets that you don't know where you're going. And it was a real inspiration for me and I spent I rented this lovely flat just near Notre Dame so I had a very nice commute. I Walked over the Seine every morning to take my laptop to the cafes of the Marais. And there I wrote my novel. And in the evenings, I wrote it in my notebook. And I had a a wonderful time. And I really felt that the kind of, because I was completely on my own there. I didn't meet people there and make friends. At the same time, I was completely on my own. In a way, I never am in London because there's always emails or someone to see or something to be done. So I think that traveling, you know, you're kind of on your own in your you know just yourself and and you really can delve deep for the stories, so that's what I found when I went travelling to Australia initially that's definitely what I found when I went travelling the second time round when I went to Paris. It was really inspiring
0: and did you finish your first draft in that three months?
1: No, no, I didn't finish it then. I kind of did I did a lot of writing then, particularly by hand, but I didn't finish it um and I finished a lot more when i came I, and when I came back to Britain. Becoming Queen was being published, and my TV program about Victoria was on. So I did publicity for those. At the same time, I finished my novel, and also I was working on i working on my next biography now about Josephine Bonaparte. So that was when I finished my novel, and I did a I did a, a creative writing course at Royal Holloway, and I worked on the course worked on the novel as part of the course, and sold it earlier this year, and I'm so excited to see it published next year. So. Very exciting. Then I mean, I've got my next novel to write as well, which is about spiritualists in early 19th century America. So, so at the moment, I'm just you know correcting for the final edits of The Pleasures of Men. Mm. And I'm talking about Victor, Victoria and Emma Hamilton and Josephine Bonaparte in Australia. And I'm writing my biography of Josephine Bonaparte and writing my next novel so it's an exciting Goodness. time and I've got a, I've got a few you know short story prize and biography prizes to judge in England as well so so I'm really enjoying it it's um it's nice to be have lots of um, lots of emails.
0: Yeah, now they're all very different because writing fiction, such as The Pleasures of Men and also your next fictional novel, is very different to writing historical biographies like England's Mistress, The Infamous Life of Emma Hamilton, and your other one, Becoming Queen, about yes. Victoria. So... And, of course, you've done academic work as well and, and and a whole lot of different types of writing, and they're extremely different to each other. The way you approach academic writing, entirely different to biography, entirely different to novels. Do you find it hard to switch hats, or what do you do in order to be able to switch from one to to the other?
1: I that's a really good question. I mean, that's very different. Academic writing is very different, and I still do write academic articles. That's very different to... To journalistic articles, and then then that's very different to biography and history, and of course very different to fiction. Um, I I I I mean I don't I I try to kind of give blocks of time to different bits of writing. I, I I can't kind of move between them in an hour, so I I normally try and do if it's a day I try and devote that to one to either fiction or non-fiction rather than moving in between them. But it does give me the kind of joy that I never at the moment have writer's block, because if I do have writer's block, then there's always something <laughs> another kind of book that needs to be written. So I get on with that. Um, and it is very different. I mean, with a biography, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of uh, primary research to be done, letters to be read, history to be read, uh, facts to be weighed up. And although you can, of course, you can have creativity. It's a creativity of perception and a creativity of argument and a, a creativity of what you find in the sources. You you know, you can't make things up. You just can't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not possible. You can't make things up. You can't speculate. And that's often, you know, a little bit sad. You think, oh, gosh, you know, I really wish I knew what happened on this day. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, in Emma Hamilton, the Nelson and Emma write each other these passionate letters Nelson, she kept all his letters. Emma kept all his letters, but Nelson burned hers for the sake of her reputation. So we don't have any of her letters. The only letters that we have are those that arrived when Nelson never saw them. So they arrived after the Battle of Trafalgar and they were sent back to her. So, you know, you'd love to make up a letter. You'd love to have the idea you've made up a letter, you know, of Emma Hamilton's, but you can't, nothing, you can't do it. So there's no making up, but, you you know, there's obviously a very, strict uh chronology that you have to keep to because they're born they die they meet people in the middle but that's so different to a novel a novel is so different again you can make anything up and that's almost that's so wonderful but it's almost terrifying at times you know anything can be free you know you just think gosh what's the right decision should he do that or should he do that should it be winter should it be summer should he be going there or there and you know abs- i i did write a synopsis for my novel Quite a detailed synopsis, but in the end, you know, the character did take over. But she took over, and she took me places that I hadn't expected. And then you read over it again, go maybe she should actually do this. So the kind of freedom—it's almost a bit like swimming. When you go swimming, you swim in lanes, you swim up and down, up and down. And then you go into the swimming pool, and there's no lanes; it's all free. And mm. and they're both. Uh, and I I love writing fiction. I really do. I always wanted to write fiction. I always did uh want to do want to do so and and i love the freedom and the excitement of, of it of it and, and and sort of experimenting and taking taking the character where you wish it can go and there's, there's no you don't in biography you have to cut back you're suddenly at one moment you think oh actually stop maybe i'm speculating too much mm. here maybe i'm maybe i'm trying to impose my Maybe I'm writing about Josephine and how she felt about Napoleon. Maybe I'm going too far in imagination here, but you can never feel that with a novel. You can never go too far with your imagination. You can take it as far as you wish, and that's that's really exciting, I think.
0: So do you have a preference? Is there one that you enjoy more than the other?
1: I like both. I do I do enjoy both, and, of course, both are historical, so mm-hmm. I keep within the past. Um, I, I, I wrote a lot of novels that didn't quite work before. I didn't send them to anyone or show them to anyone. I just knew they didn't quite work. Um, and I I love in both times novel and biography. I love it when it's going well. It's just marvellous when it's going well and it's flowing and it's you know you think gosh you know I've got somewhere today. And in both types, they have their miseries. The novel nothing comes. a biography you don't find any any new sources or you know mm-hmm. what you're looking for isn't there. And I think that I I think that I do. I do enjoy I do en- I do enjoy both. I I do enjoy the freedom and the imagination and the liberation of a novel and at the same time I enjoy the the moments of discovery that you have with a biography that you just find this piece of evidence and I go my goodness that 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 makes it all clear now. Mm.
0: And with all of your books whether they're fiction or non-fiction they have a historical bent do you write things in the present?
1: Well, I I have a Well, I wrote some novels before, and I did have a go at writing things in the present. But um, I feel that at the moment I'm better at writing things in history because I'm so passionate about history and so passionate about the past. And and I feel myself, I think so much about the past and how much about history that I really enjoy it, I think, uh, at the moment for myself. I I find the past the most enchanting place to be. But that's not to say I I won't change in the future.
0: And so, obviously, with your uh, biographies, you need to do all of this research beforehand before you can put pen to paper, but with your fictional work, that's not so vital, or do you also find you need to find out everything about the place and the setting before you put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard?
1: Yes, exactly. I do think that research is very important to the novel, Mm. absolutely important. You know, It's a very different kind of research, really, and search for biography, you're looking at their letters, you're looking at the battles. you search for a novel, you really need to know kind of about the sights and the smells, what the streets smell like, what the houses look like, what the markets were like, what exactly she'd be wearing, what her clothes would say like and Catherine, what her clothes would have felt like, what her shoes would have felt like, how, how the maids would have dressed and undressed her. What exactly she would have possessed, how how her books would have looked, how her music would have looked, what the other girls would look like. So it's a very different type of research, a social history type of research. That's that's um, really that's um, really fun. It's really how our ancestors really lived. Mm.
0: Now people are obviously very familiar with Queen Victoria, uh, but tell us, which is one of your books, Becoming Queen. But tell us a bit more about why you chose to write about Emma Hamilton.
1: Well, I was—I fell in love with Emma Hamilton when I was writing my PhD at Oxford and it was on history and literature and some of it was on the seduction novel and I thought I'd call up some letters by women who'd been seduced or who'd been seducing men and they were all so dreary and they were all so dull. <laughs> and then I came across an incredible letter by Emma that she wrote to Nelson um, when he just won the Battle of the Nile. She told him she was melting for him, swelling for him, dreaming of him. Um, falling on her side at the thought of him. And she really put herself on a plate. She was ambassador to to Naples. She had a great position by that point. She was absolutely at the pinnacle of society, but she put herself uh, really out there, really vulnerable to grab Nelson. And he couldn't be there fast enough. He was in Naples in the shot and the great love affair began. So that was a fascinating story. And I was also so fascinated by how she got to the position she was. How did she come from nothing? She was born into such terrible poverty in 1765 and this was absolutely at the bottom of society. The, you know, the most, the, the land was owned in Britain by just a few men and Emma, you know, everyone who was born outside of these kind of wealthy families, they were nothing. Emma was father for the Industrial Revolution, the average life expectancy at the time was 17. Nothing was expected of her and instead she came Whizzing up the ranks, and she really did, and she became a kept mistress. Then she was wife of Sir William Hamilton, Lady Hamilton, ambassador ambassador to Naples, and then you know she she grabbed Nelson, became best friend best friend of the Prince Regent. It was just an incredible rise, and I particularly enjoy talking about it in Australia because. This is the time, the late 18th, early 19th century, when the first settlers were coming over to Australia. So I think it's been particularly lots of Australians seem to want to hear about Emma Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I think it's because this was when the people were coming over to Australia to just just to begin the very beginnings of uh, of, um, of, of, of of the Australian settling. Mm-hmm. And so many of the people that Emma Hamilton uh, knew when she was young, the Uh, in the poverty-stricken streets of London, these are some of the people who came over to Australia because they knew they would have a better life in Australia than they would in class-bound Britain. Mm. And the people who lived in this kind of... mostly lived in miserable poverty, stayed there. And those who escaped it, some of them were incredibly lucky, like Emma... And some came to Australia, which for many of them was, was so much of a better life.
0: Mm, amazing strong character, which Absolutely. which brings us to then your next one, the one that you're writing about now on Josephine Bonaparte, another ca- strong character. You've got a particular interest interest in um, female strong female from history.
1: Yes, definitely. I love. I mean, we obviously men are fascinating and important but we've had a lot of coverage of great men a lot of coverage of napoleon a lot of coverage of nelson lots of coverage of great men i think it's time to give the the women the great women some some room and particularly at the moment you know in the old days you know people thought women were just men's appendages just men's accessories just you know their broodmares that kind of thing now we know that women are important they play a huge role in history and in in their own right. And I, I think that's a particular appetite to find out more about mm, them. Mm.
0: And so who's after Josephine?
1: <laughs> that's a very good question. I'm not quite sure. I've got a few ideas. I've got a few ideas. But um, Josephine comes out in 2012, so there's a little time yet. So I've got a few ideas, but um, not, not, not quite definitely decided yet. But, um, but as, as soon as I do, I shall be bringing her to Australia.
0: Mm. And tell us then about your next f- novel that you've got in the works?
1: Yes, my next novel is about spiritualists in early 19th century America um, and how the, the kind of battle between science and rationalism and spiritualists and how they fitted into this and how people hunted out the spiritualists and told them they were you know, irrelevant and they were making up stories. People believed them hugely and spiritualists had a lot of power in the 20th century, particularly in the war. I mean, in the both wars people turned in particular to spiritualism to contact their dead relations their husbands who were overseas spiritualism was te- it can terribly important at times of kind of national crisis and uh a lot of these women i mean it was always women and it was often men trying to dismiss them, trying to prove them wrong, trying to prove them charlatans. And I'm particularly fascinated in that kind of the liminal battle, the battle between what is reality and what is imagination and what is truth and what isn't and what is, is science All that's cracked up to be is science exactly as rational as it's cracked up to be, because you know so much of nineteenth-century science was completely wrong. Mm
0: -mm. That seems so different to what you've been writing about so far. And you've moved to America, and um, has that entailed a whole raft of other research?
1: It is new research, but I like that. I don't want to be. I don't want to always be mining the same theme. I don't want to stick. You know writing books about the same people that I've written about before. I want to kind of change a little bit and move a little bit um, because there's just so much to learn and there's so much to read about and there's so many fascinating, fascinating, amazing characters in history and fascinating periods in history. And, and, you know, one lifetime of writing just isn't enough to do them justice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when you are on a writing project... Do you have a particular daily routine? Do you have any rituals that you need to go through before you sit down at your computer? Do you have to write in a particular spot? You know, what t- tell us about that, the process. Well,
1: I used to be more like that, but nowadays I spend so much time travelling, promotion mm. to film TV programmes, mm. um, to do lectures. Um, I, I lecture, you know, give talks and lectures a lot in... Europe and in Britain so I don't kind of have that have that do that anymore if I can I in in August actually I had two weeks of of absolute nothing but writing and it was amazing because I don't because in August in Britain it's very quiet no one films anything on TV because everyone's on holiday and there aren't many lectures so I had two weeks of of, of just going trundling around writing and it was marvelous and in those times I, I always go to the library there's a big the big British Library at King's Cross in London. I always go there. I love working there. I because I can get books if I need to, but I always like to work there because um, I I rather like to kind of have a day in which I kind of get on the tube and then I I often write on the writing. Hand, by, in my notebook on the tuba and then I get off the tube and I work all day in the library and I come home and and, it, and then I sort to do a bit more work in the evenings normally and I I really enjoy the fact that I get to come home and and it's a pleasure and I can have I can be at home in the evenings writing my story so I love it so I I, I try generally um I know most authors prefer to work at home but I I prefer to work in the library I you know the kind of the noise washes over me and I like working on trains as well and Sometimes I work on aeroplanes, but I didn't do too well on the plane to Australia. I, I, I got a bit tired and ended up sleeping, but shorter flights I often find quite good for working on as well.
0: That's very adaptable. Oh. <laughs> you can write <laughs> everywhere, obviously.
1: As a very small computer. Yes. <laughs> the poor thing is a bit battered, though. It, it often, it's compla- it, 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 my computers start complaining after about six months or a year, poor thing. because oh, so they yes. do get a bit of a battering.
0: So what's your advice to writers? Because there are a lot of people out there who, like you, are interested in history and interested in characters from history so what's your advice to them if they are interested in writing about somebody who's dead and you can't you know verify information or get any extra information that what currently exists in order to bring them to life and yet stay true to the facts
1: Oh, well, there's always more. There's always, i found, there's always a bit more information that no one's quite found yet that uh, is always entrancing. There's always something. There's always some archives. Like, you know, there were archives I found for Emma Hamilton. that, You know, they just, people, I just went to archives and they just dumped a big pile of letters on my desk and said, oh, no one's looked at these. We don't know what's in here. But you never know. You might find something. And they're all amazing. Wow. You find amazing things. So I think there's always more information than than there's always something that someone hasn't looked at, particularly... Um, I mean, I think this is perhaps more difficult when you're writing about a very early medieval character in which things don't survive. Mm. But if you're writing about people in the 18th, 19th, 20th century, these people wrote so much. They wrote so many letters. There's mm. so many letters about them. There's always something There's always something secret you can find. It's
0: like being a detective, isn't
1: it? It is. It really is, and it's it's really wonderful to be like that. And so, I love it.
0: And so, are you a full-time writer? When did you become yes. a full-time writer?
1: Well, I... I have been for a long time, really, because I was a PhD student before, mm-hmm. and, you know, you are full-time writing then, full-time writing and research, and I moved straight from that into writing um, biographies. Mm-hmm. I taught as well, I did, and I teach. Them, I do teach creative writing at the moment. I teach on the Creative Writing MA at the University of London, mm-hmm. so I teach that at the moment, and I did used to teach then, but at the same time, I was a full-time writer too, so I've been a... I, think a lot, I haven't really spent much of my life um, working in an office, really, mm-hmm. so... Um, the, um, um, and I, when I film TV programs, of course, you spend you know four or five days with a with a team, yeah. but that's four or five days, and then the rest of the time I, I work for my work for myself. So I love um, being a full time writer. I love the I love setting on my own kind of deadlines and things like that. But the difference is, of course, um, you know that you can't really ever turn your phone or your email off. You know, you can't. You're not really ever off duty. You know, you know if someone someone rings up and said you know they want an article or something or they want you to come on tv then you know you, you can't say oh i'm on holiday or yes. i don't, don't feel like it or you know my foot hurts you know <laughs> you, you you do it and so that but i think that is the main difference of being a being a writer you're always on duty and you know when you're you know, people say to me, "Oh, you know, do you find it hard to concentrate?" And it's not. It's really not that. It's kind of the opposite, really. It's kind of the converse. It's not. I never have a problem getting started. It's the problem stopping and saying, "Well, you know, look, it's Saturday night. I shouldn't be writing. Mm. I should be, you know, doing something else or relaxing." So it is quite quite hard to switch off. I
0: think sometimes. And following on from that, though, like what you we were saying earlier, if there's if there's always another archive. There's always another, you know, thing that's yet to be discovered. How do you know when to stop?
1: Well, that's a good question um, because the thing is, in the end, you can't get all your research in. You know, you never can um, because you have 120, 150, perhaps 100,000 words Mm. to encompass the life of one person. Mm. And if we were to write our own lives, you know, we'd write 100,000 words perhaps about one year. You know, you can't get everything in in the end. And it is painful. A lot of research has to go um you know when you've done the research you often have to sit down and write and it often has to go and some of the most marvelous pieces you just can't keep mm-hmm. um when it's interesting to me in tv often and um they the a a different person edits the program to the person who's directed it because the director says to me well it's because i might keep in some shots because i like them because they're beautiful or because i had a real struggle getting to them it was raining we were all miserable. And the editor says, no, what's important for the story? Mm. And when you're writing, you have to kind of be your own director and editor. You have to get the shots. It's really hard, you know, in the rain. And then you have to cut them. And that is the hard thing. You have to go, goodness me, you mm. know, that is not... My reader doesn't need to know what the second cousin of so-and-so <laughs> was doing on the Tuesday the 5th with and um, who bought the hat. And, yeah. I mean, you know, you can use that stuff in, in lectures, in, in articles. Um, but it is... in in, in other kind of um, areas. But that is a painful thing, that you get rid of research. But then when you write a novel, you know, you write lots of bits that don't end up in the final version. I mean, huge amounts of stuff have been cut from my Final version, and my my boyfriend it, it kind of reads the versions and goes. I think we should have like he goes. I'm going to, I think we should have different versions. I'm going to sell them on eBay. <laughs> but um, you know, we have huge amounts of different versions, and um, and I really do think that you know that's that's part of being a writer, isn't it? In the end, you have to forget about yourself as a researcher or as a writer and think about the reader.
0: And finally, you uh, teach creative writing. What would your yeah. advice be? What is your advice to your creative writing students who are just starting out? And they want they they dream of being full time writers like you.
1: Oh, I think I what I you know trying not to be discouraged. but That's the thing. I think obviously you know you know there's a, there's a lot of things that that contribute to being a being a writer, but persistence is so important and not being discouraged because it's so easy to be discouraged. You know, you spend all day looking at your computer, going is this working? Is this any good? I don't know whether this is good or not. Mm. So I always try, and, and you know I. If I, I if I regret anything from my earlier you know kind of period as a writer, it is times when I felt a bit discouraged and it's not working, and I, I maybe I should start something else. And you know, I just think it's a case of kind of you know not being discouraged and keeping on going and keeping having keeping the faith and being persistent. And that's very much more easily said than done. But that that is my main advice, really. It's 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 kind of keeping at it and, and keeping the
0: faith, really. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Kate.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Valerie. It's been wonderful.
0: You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, com. That's Valerie k h o K-H-O-O com. Thank you for listening.